0: Welcome to the Unborn Movement by Words to Inspire. We invite you to be informed, to be involved, and to be in prayer. On these podcasts, you'll hear stories from women and men who tell of the damaging after effects of legal abortion, physical, emotional, and spiritual. Such a dark stain on our nations around the world. The ripple effect on moms, dads, grandparents, and siblings impacts not only this generation, but generations to come. We are committed to also telling you, through these dynamic stories, about the amazing grace of our Heavenly Father. He offers love, forgiveness, and restoration to all who call on Him. We pray that every podcast highlights God's healing grace. And now... Today's podcast. Today, I'll read for you a story. It's the fourth story in the book, Unborn, Untold True Stories of Abortion and God's Healing Grace. It's called Every Good and Perfect Gift by Jared Hathaway. It's a unique story that shows how one family got involved to make a difference in life for an unborn child. If I want to do this story justice, To give God the glory he deserves, I have to go back, way, way back. My dear mother and father showed us kids what faith in the giver of every good and perfect gift looked like long before any of us even came to be. And I'm grateful that they've occasionally recounted that story for our benefit. Mom had cysts on her ovaries when she was only 12 years old. The decision was made to operate, and the doctors removed one ovary completely and half of the other one. She was told that very likely that she would be infertile. She came from a family with five kids, and Dad had three siblings and ten aunts and uncles on his father's side alone. So large families were kind of a big deal. Of course, Mum let Dad know about her medical history while they were dating, or courting, as they called it. So old-fashioned. Dad said he didn't think it would be right to allow that to halt their relationship. I believe he saw this as an opportunity to trust the Lord, to provide according to his will, to exercise faith in the same God who had opened the wombs of many women in the Bible, Sarah and Rachel and Elizabeth, to name a few. Well, God certainly did reward them, because not only did Mom have a baby— She had five babies and was only pregnant four times. I guess doctors aren't always right, huh? Okay, let's fast forward some decades. My wife and I had been married about five years and had recently moved into a beautiful home as we were both making decent money. We decided that if we waited until we were ready, we might never be parents. So now seemed like the right time. And wouldn't you know it? Only a couple months later, she took the test and it worked. I was going to be a daddy. Oh, boy. Wow. We went in for an ultrasound. I think we both cried when we saw that little rapid open-close, open-close video representation of our baby's heartbeat on the screen. The world kind of stands still in moments like that because you're staring at evidence that life is going to dramatically change. Has changed, actually. I was so excited. I even went on Facebook to announce that this wasn't a drill. That a baby was on the way. And then the worst day of our lives happened. During the next scheduled appointment, the baby's heartbeat couldn't be detected. Six weeks along, and then no more. Devastation. My wife miscarried at home a few days later. Days in which I had prayed in earnest for a miracle that didn't come. I was there. We were traumatized together. A few dark months followed. Afterwards came a pretty dark year. But slowly, we moved along with life. If we had been careful not to get pregnant before, she was doubly careful now not to let it happen. And that crushed me all over because... I still held on to hope. I knew the value of a family. I wanted to start and lead my own. But then my dad's words came back to me, how he had faced the decision whether to marry my mom or not. He'd said that he was determined that if we kids couldn't come naturally to them, they'd be open to adoption. Those words gave me hope. So in 2014, we became licensed to provide foster care to children in Franklin County. What an eye-opening and amazing experience that was. We had more than 30 kids come through our home in only six months, sometimes for a couple of nights, others for longer. While it was exceedingly difficult, it was some of the most rewarding work I've ever done. And then I marvel now at God's providence, a cute little blonde-haired girl was placed onto the list. She was only 16 months old, and parental rights had been terminated. She was a ward of the state, and her foster mum wouldn't be seeking to adopt her. That was a rarity. We thought, sure, why not throw our names into the hopper with the fifty, fifty other families who'd made a direct appeal to add her to theirs. She was a failure to thrive case. Mother had abused drugs and alcohol throughout pregnancy and after making no attempt to follow a mandated plan of reconciliation. The poor baby was born weighing six pounds and only weighed 6.1 pounds at her three-month checkup. The state of Ohio moved in, saving her precious life, thank God. By now, she was healthy, having been in foster care for over 400 days. You dare not get your hopes up too far because 2% chance means 98% chance they'll pick someone else, people who have fostered for years and years. Lo and behold, we were chosen. No joke. They loved us and thought we would be an excellent placement. I agreed, of course, but what an unexpected blessing. And then, get this, we looked at this little girl's birth date. March 28, 2013. We'd had the miscarriage on the 23rd. Can you believe that? While we were in pieces, our lives shattered by loss, God was at work behind the scenes, picking up those broken pieces and mending them without our knowledge or permission. What victory, what amazing grace, what mighty providence. Ray Lynn came to live in our home on my birthday in 2014 and called me mummy for about three months because the foster home had no man in it. Our family was small and perfect, just the three of us. Ray Lynn began to say daddy and to associate it with me around the first of the year in 2015. We decided to take a respite from fostering kids to kind of establish the family identity, you know. But then we started getting the itch again, and the agency continued to call us because our license was still active. We took in a couple of older teenage girls for a few months. Then one fateful day, we got a call. A newborn needed a place to stay. Baby had a few health issues, mainly withdrawals from the painkillers mom had been on. By the way, it's incredibly heartbreaking to watch such a tiny baby fighting the symptoms. The baby's name was saved. We had actually prayed for a newborn, so we could say we'd had the experience. But we did need to consider that we had a two-year-old to take care of at the time. In the end, though, we couldn't say no and agreed to take the plunge. Pretty incredible. The sleepless nights and formula and teeny tiny diapers and the crying and the major adjustments, all worth it times ten if I had to assess it. We did meet the bio parents, in case you were wondering. In fact, we practically became foster parents to the parents, too. They were actually good people, but addicted to the things I was taught to just say no to and have. They were multi-generational poverty cases and pretty much caught in a rough rut, cyclical maelstrom of dependency and unemployment. But they were making strides and shaping up. They passed drug tests almost immediately after the baby was taken and continued in that course of victory. It was impressive. Then came a night I'll never forget. We'd had our weekly visit with them a day or two before. The poor guy called me up almost in tears, not knowing what to do or where to turn. I look back now with 2020 understanding why it was that he trusted us and had the boldness to reach out and how horrible it might have been if Christ had not been so evident in our lives. You gotta help me, he said. Naturally, I said I'd help in any way I could. We're gonna need a ride to Cleveland. We ain't got a car. Our daughter needs to go to the hospital. All right, why? After a bit of probing on my part, He finally blurted it out. My son has messed up bad. He got with my wife's daughter. She's five months pregnant. She's only 12. Now I have to send my son back to Pennsylvania. There's an abortion clinic that will do late terms in Cleveland. We ain't ready to be grandparents. Can you please give us a ride? My God in heaven. Well, no, there would be no ride to Cleveland. I hung up after I told him I would call him back in a few minutes. In a brief but very intense conversation, my wife and I concluded that this was a literal life and death situation, that we'd been presented with an opportunity that certainly could have eternal consequences. I called the man back. No, we cannot violate our consciences and provide what you're asking, but here's what we can and will do. We are going to help your daughter in any and every possible way. She will have this baby in four months. And if it's determined that she is able to raise the baby in your household, we will celebrate that with you. If you think that this child would be better in the loving home of adopted parents, we will help that come to pass. Or if you, your wife, and your daughter believe that my family The one that has your baby right now would make a fitting family for him or her, we would be open to that route. Really? The 43 year old pending grandfather sounded a little shocked. His wife, about to become a grandmother, was younger than my wife. Absolutely. The rest is kind of history. We had to keep everything secret until Ella was born, because the birth mother can and sometimes does change her mind. In the meantime, Sade was reunited with them, a successful and happy case study in foster care services. We offered open adoption, but they were content to basically put things behind them and move back to Philadelphia. The girl never really acknowledged that she was pregnant. Didn't register, you know. Asked how the baby was going to come out. It was a cesarean set delivery. The hospital staff was amazing, treating us as the parents to this newborn that we were about to be. These experiences have changed the perspective I now have on life, on love, and on the power of words, but mostly on what God can and will do in the lives of people who are simply willing to be obedient to their calling. Ella, the baby that almost wasn't born, played baby Jesus in my church's Christmas play three months later. God makes no errors. He has ordered our footsteps and provided us with a sacrificial example that he may be glorified in the faithful living out of our lives. As the Apostle Paul wrote in Galatians 2.20, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. What a beautiful and powerful story, a unique way to be involved. I hope that you have enjoyed this wonderful, life-changing story. Thanks for tuning in. Tune in again next time. Bye for now. As we close off today, I invite you to be part of the Unborn Movement. There are several ways to be involved. Why not join the Unborn Movement Facebook page, get involved in a local pregnancy center, or start the conversation in your church, providing a safe place for stories to be told. For there is a lot of pain in the pews. Find out more about our ministry at wordstoinspire.ca or contact me, ruth at wordstoinspire.ca. Until next time, I'm Ruth Cogill for the Unborn Movement. Bye for now.